0: The Last Dance, I am Tate Frazier, and I am joined, as always, by the three-time champion himself, Mr. BJ Armstrong. BJ, we just saw episode five and episode six. First takeaways from The Last Dance from you.
1: Well, my my, my first takeaway is those times, you know, they bring back so many memories. Yes. But the, the one thing that I took away is, in life, you have to be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. -hmm. And we all have these dreams of being the lead character, in this case, in sports, to be a star player. But you can see the burden that it brings on you, the people around you, your family, your immediate family, if you know, brothers, sisters, wife, kids, your teammates. And you can see how the spotlight just wears you down. And um, I remember my. My family, my father always telling me, he said, he used to always tell me, he said, be careful. You know, you don't want to be in the spotlight too long mm-hmm. because it might just start to wear down your suit, to dim your suit a little bit. You can start to see what being a star, a superstar does to you. It just wears you down physically, mentally, emotionally. And you're starting to see that. So, um, you know, you, st- you know, after the third championship, you know, we weren't even... Like, we were happy that we won because we knew the goal, Mm -hmm. but you can see the strain of it. It was just more of a relief, more than anything.
0: And we see in 1998, obviously, which is the, the sort of the integral part of this whole documentary, the thread that keeps things going here. And we see in 1998, you know, the team, the, the people that are around the bulls, they say, when Michael leaves his hotel room, the spotlight is on. And that's what you mean. The the burden is there. And Michael, we see him, you know, lounging in his hotel room and he's basically saying, you know, this is it. This is, this is, I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm done with this almost. And, uh. I just wanted to basically start there at the top, you know, of this this uh, this episode, episode five, and the first thing that we see on the screen is in loving memory of Kobe Bryant, and we go straight yeah. to the Mecca, and we go straight to MSG, and we go straight to 1998, the All Star Game with. Kobe, obviously, you know, the young, the youngest uh, all-star there. And, uh, you know, we see MJ and we see that back and forth between those two guys. So once we get into this episode, obviously, that's a heavy moment. And we see Kobe talking about, you know, what it means to have MJ. And I think a quote that was really, you know, spectacular to kind of define the relationship is, you know, Kobe, you can see it in his eyes when he says when people compare the two, the one on one game of Kobe, you know, versus MJ, it it kind of hurts him. And he said, because w- there is no me without him, you know, and then that is really the, t- you know, how tied they are with each other. And we get this moment behind the scenes there in 1998. And you obviously know about that relationship. So what was it like to you know, see that back and forth. And obviously we get the trash talk of MJ, you know, he's calling him a baby Laker. He says he only wants to play offense. He says he's going to make him play defense, all that sort of stuff. But it was obviously a special bond there in that game.
1: Well, yeah, you know, that, that, that's tough to see because, you know, we mm-hmm. lost, you know, it meant so much to all of us, you know, mm-hmm. and all of the people here and you and I are here in LA and we know what he meant to the city of Los Angeles. We know what he meant to the, the basketball community you know, not only in the NBA, abroad, and just people that he touched. And, um, you know, just at the looks of it, it looked like that interview didn't take, wasn't too long ago Mm -hmm. that when he did that interview. And um, just so, it just still seems so surreal that we're talking about, you know, Kobe, you know, that he's no longer with us. So that's still Mm -hmm. tough. Um, I remember that young man when he first came in the league, him and I, we shared the same agent. So I got a chance to know the 18 year old kid. And I know uh, I had a chance to spend many uh, uh, nights with him and time with him. And he was just a very curious kid about the game of basketball. And his devotion to the game was apparent uh, when you first met him. So to see him have an opportunity to pick the brain of Michael, that was Kobe Bryant. He wanted to absorb as much as he could, and uh, certainly he was very focused and determined that way. So uh, that was great. Um, the thing that had me laughing was one: the music was fantastic. Special if ed I ruled the world. Yeah, you know uh, uh, that was Nas. Nice. Yeah. But special Ed's, uh, I got it made. That was like <laughs> oh, I, yes. I, I. And then when they played uh, Outcast, I mean, I have Oh yes, in Atlanta, I had yes. a moment that I felt like I was twenty, <laughs> where I jumped up and I, and I had to get an ice pack. So. When I see Jason Ayer, you know, uh, I got to tell him, you know, that really, that was fantastic. But one of the funnest things for me was people forget that Larry Bird was a massive trash talker. So to see Larry Bird and Magic Johnson talking trash and then, you know, Magic is, you know, he he was like, I knew what he really wanted to say. And he was like, can I say that? <laughs> you know, but he was talking trash. Michael was talking trash. Larry was talking trash. That kind of captured that era, that you saw all three of those guys, with the respect that they had for one another, and they all were great in their own right. Uh, but you can see that the competitive nature of all three of those guys—it was just great to see. That was fun to see, and uh, of course, you know, we're talking about Kobe here, and I think he was—he uh, carried on the tradition of a warrior and what it meant to play the game at a high level, and. And um, just peace goes out to his family and rest in peace, uh, because it's that's a that's that's hard to to see that and know that he was taken away so young. And it's good to, you know, obviously
0: memorialize Kobe by seeing him play the game that he loves so dearly and obviously a game that Michael loves so dearly and a game that you and I both love so much in the game of basketball. Right. And to be in the Mecca and MSG, to see Larry Bird be the coach of the Eastern Conference team and, you know, Larry Bird doing the all shucks, I mean, we're here, we might as well win, you know. And then you got Magic Johnson going into the Eastern Conference locker room and you got Jordan telling him to get out because this is the Eastern Conference. We don't need anybody from the West in here. And, you know, Jordan obviously always talks about, you know, MSG and that being a special place to him. I think he has the record for the most 40-point games in MSG. I think right. it's six that he has. Um, but but just being there, you obviously had those. We're going to talk about the Knicks and that rivalry. Right. But just Jordan in that special moment in that special building, what do you know about him being in MSG and how he likes to play at another level in that building?
1: Well, you know – you know, playing in the NBA is great. It's, it yes. really is. It's, a, it's, a, it's 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 incredible. But mm-hmm. there is a different vibe and a different energy in playing in Madison Square Garden. And mm-hmm. it starts with the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I loved New York because that was the only place where I could be at dinner or in my hotel. I could be in the lobby. And people, like I didn't know these people, they would come up, BJ, you suck. The full stink. <laughs> and then, I mean, they would say the craziest thing, and then they would say all of these things. You'd be like, like, you'd be like, taking it back. And then yeah. afterwards, hey, man, I love your game. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like, they would say all of these things, and then afterwards, hey, man, I love your game. Yeah,
0: it's like a little, it's like a nice little, you know, jab at the end thing.
1: Yeah. And uh, so there's a uh, energy, mm-hmm. there's an energy that you, that you know, and you have to meet that energy in. I've only found it in New York City. When Mm -hmm. you come into the garden, you know know that the ball boys are Knicks fans. You know that everyone in the garden is Knicks fans. You know that they're going to cheer for you, and they want to be, like, entertained, right? They want blood. They don't care if it's your blood or the home team's blood. They just want it. And it was just a certain vibe that you got when you mm-hmm. played there. And um, I think everyone kind of, you would take your game to meet that and match that energy. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know our team enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. We had some great games there. And uh, I just always remember it was like, people would just say the craziest things to you. You would get on the bus, right? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and people would say the craziest things and then afterwards they'd be like, hey man, I love your game, man. Good <laughs> luck. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like, it's like a show, you know? Like I'm a New York Nick fan, but I got respect for the game. And that's what I always, I've always respected Nick fan. Like even to this mm-hmm. day, when I go to New York, mm-hmm. I'm going to get one, whether it's in the airport or someone, you know, talking about that game and talking mm-hmm. about those teams, you know, Nixon, um, you know, that was a beloved team there in New York. And uh, those, those brought back some fond memories.
0: Yeah, and one of those things you mentioned that you have to bring blood. One of those things that Jordan brought in 1998 was blood, and when he wore his Jordan One shoes, and that was, <laughs> yeah, you know, that like was a the- that was a brand play at this point. This is Michael Jordan is full on Air Jordan. This is you know the final chapter. He's gonna you know tip right. of the cap to you know his old roots with Nike, and then we get the full story of you know David Falk deciding you know to basically market Michael like a tennis star and a golf star, and we get you know Michael's whole ideology behind the idea that he did want to be a part of converse because converse had you know bernard king and everybody else and he had Mm -hmm. you know an affinity for adidas but adidas was quote-unquote dysfunctional according to david Falk. and then we get (laughs) miss jordan the great the great dolores jordan comes in again and just like my mother would my mother would make me take any meeting if someone wanted to meet with me i would have to go to the meeting and if they put a banner up that said the nike family welcomes the Fraser family like they did the nike family welcomes the jordan family it's signed, sealed, delivered at that point, and that's what happened with the Jordan family. They go to Nike. We get the Jordan ones. We get Air Jordan. We get the Air Souls. We get the whole story. And you obviously, BJ, are in the agent game. You know the story of how to, you know, help build a, a star like you've done with Derek. And Derek actually did sign with Adidas. You know, funny right. enough. Um, so, so what is it like to hear that backstory and understand how they were trying to market Michael? And obviously, you saw it, you know, firsthand seeing him kind of grow into that guy.
1: Well, I, I could tell you this, the first the agent part of me is gonna talk first. Yes. And answer this question. I mean, the numbers they were talking about, I was like blown away. They were like, if you get a hundred thousand dollars for a shoe deal, that's like <laughs> and then they were like, We're gonna get Michael Jordan for mm-hmm. two hundred I think they said two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yep. And but again, knowing what I knew then and what I know now, I mean no athlete had ever sold shoes a signature Mm -hmm. shoe before so to me that was like a a massive number but just listening to yeah it's only two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars that was like i i I chuckled (laughs) at that um you know it it made sense because someone was going to do it and you know whether it was michael jordan or another athlete someone was going to eventually break through and i think the breakthrough is what michael understood like in order for me to sell shoes and create this brand and all of the things that now this generation has come to say when you say i'm the michael jordan of we all understand that you have to perform Mm -hmm. and that's the under that's the undertone here in this business that I think everyone forgets. Like, I want to be a brand. Like, I hear this all the time from, from potential clients or young players. I want to be a brand, but Michael said it. Like, none of this happens unless I go out and, and become a six-time NBA champion. Until I become a 10-time, 10, 10 consecutive you know, scoring titles, Defensive Player of the Year, All none of this happens unless you perform. And that is the X factor in why, you know, he was able to sell shoes and become this multi-faceted, incredibly gifted international star because Mm -hmm. he performed when it was time to perform, you know, he played in two Olympics and you know, the list goes on and on and on of what he was able to achieve. And I think he had a true understanding of this business if i want to do any of these things i have to go out there and do it in between those lines and that will take care of everything else that i ever want to do or everything i think is possible in the game and and he did that better than anyone
0: and you talk about you know delivering and being able to perform and after the 1991 season that was one title for you guys and then we go into 1992 and we get you know the november 7th in 1992 jordan says we want to come back and we want to win another championship. And again, we get the, you know, D.A. David Aldridge gives the, the reference to the fact that, you know, Magic's won back-to-back. Isaiah's won back-to-back. Jordan is very aware of what his contemporaries are doing at the time. You're obviously on the team with the Bulls. You guys have won one title. You're going in 1992. And then you go into that finals and you have, you know, Clyde and Michael Jordan. This is something that, you know, we've talked about, you know, off the record before, how Michael doesn't like to be compared to... To anyone, and the fact that everyone was comparing him to Clyde, or saying that you know he was going to have his work cut out for him, and then we get this great Magic Johnson story, where basically you know Michael tells him the night before, "I'm gonna bust his ass." You know, (laughs) and and you're gonna have a front row seat for it. You know, and and I'm gonna look at you the whole time. And you know, Magic's just sitting there smiling, and Jordan's hitting threes, and he's looking over at Magic. And it's this amazing story. But obviously, you're there, front row. Did you have any idea that Michael was such a man on a mission? Did he tell you guys he wanted to embarrass Clyde? Did he tell you that he told Magic playing cards the night before that he was gonna embarrass Clyde? Because it's a crazy um, story.
1: You know, take that's that's a great question. And was I aware? it wasn't just Clyde. It was just Clyde was the, the player that was in front of him at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have a, a story, but I'm, wanna, I'm not going to say the player because it's one of my favorite players. Yeah, And I'm not trying to, yeah. you know, with the player, but it was a player, and this player is a Hall of Fame player, like one of my mm-hmm. favorite players of all time. Um, and after we play, you know, we're going to the bus, and I just happened to walk out and that player is there and Michael and like you know you're just kind of you know you're going to the bus like you always mm-hmm. do and I was like oh wow like god this is my favorite guy here and a fan stops and says oh man you guys you two he points at you know Michael and and the and the ex player and goes you two are my favorite players of all time and he said that and the ex player goes Hey, you know, I appreciate it. And Michael says nothing. He Mm just says nothing. So, you know, it was like, hey, thank you. You know, you hear players say it all the time. It's such an honor for you to say, hey, I'm one of your favorite players. And to be, you know, if I'm not the best, you're the best. And Michael says nothing. And And I knew him well enough to know that he was visibly, like, taken away. Like, he was upset about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so we get on the bus get on the plane because we're on the road when this happened and i asked him i was like you know everything all right man would you you know and i was <laughs> like hey that was that was such and such and such and such yeah and he was furious he was like if i'm gonna play this game i can't be compared to anyone
2: mm-hmm.
1: if i'm gonna be the best I can't be compared to anyone, and I had never heard someone have that mentality of, for him to say he was one of the best, he didn't take that as a compliment. He took that as, oh, you think those guys are just as good as me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to him it was an insult, mm-hmm. and I got it immediately. I I I just I understood exactly where he's coming from. He wasn't disrespecting that player. But he said if he wanted to be considered the best, he had to have, he wanted everyone to say, I don't know who the second best player is, but that guy is the best. And he wasn't bragging or boasting. He didn't say it. He just took that as I got work to do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I thought, now that, that's a goal. That's like, because this player was a Hall of Fame player. So if you wanted to insult him, all you had to say was, who's the best player right now? Some may say, mm-hmm. in this instance, Clyde Drexler, some may say Michael Jordan. And I was like, great. This is, all. I mm-hmm. was like, keep saying it because mm-hmm. I knew and understood him. You know, for Michael, he just had a different way of, of, of looking at the game. Michael would always, I think he said it earlier in the series, he said he didn't even want you or any player to even think that they could beat him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Think mm-hmm. of that, Tate. We're playing the Clippers tomorrow night. You're already upset because the Clippers are going to show up to play because that must mean that they think they can beat you.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, me being the curious, hey, but we're in the back but why, What is that all about? What does that mean? People say, like, BJ, where where does where does thoughts take place? Mm-hmm. It takes place in the mind. So I gotta attack the mind so that the mind will tell the body what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is how this man thought. <laughs> While you over there working on your game, looking at game plans, he's already attacking you where he knows the first thought or the first move you going to do is he was already ta- attacking your mind. He wanted to put doubt in Tate's mind so that when mm-hmm. Tate walked out on the floor, you already had doubt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how he thought. And I, it made sense to me. Now, clearly you can have these thoughts, but you got to go out and be able to execute it. He had this, the talent and the skill to execute it, but I have never heard another player. Give me a response to say, where do thoughts take place? They take place in the mind. So first, let me attack your mind. Mm -hmm. Let me attack you so that Tate knows when he plays me and 23, Jordan, when he plays the Bulls and he sees 23, he's already got Mm self-doubt. Once he has the mind, everything else will follow. So with Clyde Drexler and anyone who's in front of him, his idea was how do I create doubt to where everyone else just says, He's the greatest player of all time mm-hmm. because he didn't accept that as a, like he won back-to-back champions. They'd be like, oh, who's the greatest, him or Magic? He took it as an insult. Mm-hmm. Now to most, you're like, wow, I'm in the same, I'm sitting on the same you know, pedestal as Bird and these guys. We were back-to-back champion. He was like, no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Magic has five. He wasn't going to stop until he got 6 Mm-hmm. You know, you saw the Dan Marley. He was going to find something to where people say he might be a good defensive player. And Dan Marley was a good defensive player. But he just couldn't be a good defensive player against me. Mm-hmm. He just always wanted to create that in your mind. I've never heard it since. I've never heard another player afterwards. So he was like, that's just how he thought. That's That was his theme. I got it. I understand it and he was just he was just he was able to do things and think about the game in a different way and but that's what makes him Michael Jordan.
0: And Michael said it. He said I have a competition problem. And in 1992 we see that because like you said, all of these people they're going up and they say Michael, you are one of the best. You have magic, you have Clyde, you have oh, Isaiah. No, <laughs> you have all these people. And all Michael Jordan thinks to himself is, yes, is, "I'm going to prove to you that I am the best." Yes, so it yes, starts in the finals. We win six. You win in six games, right? Beat the Blazers. Right. You beat Clyde. You knock that out. We get the, we get the shot of Jordan afterwards. He says, "You tell Chuck Daly if he plays me more than ten minutes, you know, I'm I'm done with him. You know, I'm, right, I'm done with right. the Olympics. He's he's downplaying the Olympics. As soon as we get to the Dream Team, they ask him what what's the most important part of, of the whole Dream Team. He says the practices." And then, of course, we get yeah. the the, the infinite the infamous Monte Carlo game. We all know the story about this, and this is the time where you're talking about the doubt. So he's losing in the scrimmage. We got Magic and Barkley, kind of chopping. You know, they're they're, they're talking a little bit to him. They say, you know, Magic goes up to him and says, "You're gonna have to turn into Air Jordan to get your team back in this one." <laughs> Boom, Michael. Like you said, there is doubt that is implanted by Magic. Uh, he I, has to, he has to show there is no doubt, and of course, the legend grows.
1: I, I got a quick story about that. I got. I got a lot, a lot of these things just bring back stories. So, so, you know, most of the guys go to the all-star game and they're just Mm -hmm. like, they are there and they're happy to be there. You're in the room with the very best. It's kind of like, you know, you've kind of reached a level of excellence and you Mm -hmm. should be. It's an achievement. It's like a banquet. Yeah. It's a banquet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else caught this, but as he's talking trash, He's putting doubt in the other players' mind. Hey, we gonna be mm-hmm. in the finals. You gonna be there? <laughs> Remember, he asked Gary Payton that. Mm-hmm. He he's constantly competing mm-hmm. at the. So he was using All Star Weekend to win the finals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you just the game is over with, and you're constantly you're just constant you're, you're, you're just constantly torturing people. Hey, Tate, you gonna be there? Because we mm-hmm. gonna be there. Mm-hmm. Like, who says that at an All-Star weekend? Mm -hmm. So he shared with me why he wanted to always be the best at the All-Star game is because he wanted to put the doubt in everyone else's mind. Before they went to uh, the 92 Olympics, because I know he was, you know, we had just got done playing, so forth and so on. I I Mm -hmm. know he wasn't, like, excited about it. (laughs) But somehow we were talking about something. I don't know where we were at or. But I remember the conversation we're having. I was like, "Well, you know, if you're gonna go, what you gonna do?" He was like, "I have to go there and make sure that everyone on that team understands that I'm the very best player in the world." Mm. All the other guys were there, whatever they were doing. Right? You know, it was a celebration. You're on the dream team. He went there with a focus. Mm -hmm. you understand like Mm -hmm. he never steps on the court to just be happy to be there there (laughs) has to be something Mm -hmm. so he didn't go to there and say well what was your finest memory? getting the gold medal or going to Barcelona (laughs) practice Mm -hmm. because I remember him sitting there sharing with me about the practices and I remember when he got back I called him just tell me about the practices And he shared with me all of the things that they did in practices. And I verified all of the stories with Chris Mullen (laughs) and all of those people, David Robinson, and all those people were there. The coaches, you know, that were there. He, that's just who he is. He went there with a purpose to make sure that everyone said he's the greatest because he knew that that would put doubt in all of the other players. So when they went back, when they saw Michael Jordan he wanted them to say, I can't beat him. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, I don't know if all the other players were thinking about that, but he kept the pressure on Magic Johnson with the card game. Like, everyone else is just playing to win the game. He's playing with the pressure of seeing, I'm just going to try to step on you every single time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Like, he always got a purpose for what everything he does. And that's just... And I learned that about him. And so to see Magic and all of these guys fall into this game that he plays, like I don't think anyone else comprehends that he's always got how can he get an edge, everything he does. People mm-hmm. say competing. I think he just has an a incredible understanding of the mind. Mm-hmm. He, he knows where change can take place. He knows where everything starts. So he's constantly going at it, going mm-hmm. at it. And I think that's probably why he likes golf. Because now he's got to go at himself. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's completely (laughs) a mental game with himself. Absolutely, He's got to go at himself. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, now that I think about it and watching him, he wanted to be as good as the game itself. He tried to Mm -hmm. be perfect at every aspect of the game. He tried to be the best at closing out. He tried to be the best at playing the passing lanes. He tried to be the best posting up, facing up, jab work, shot fakes, he tried to be the best at everything. And the best doesn't mean who scoring the most points. He tried to be fundamentally sound at every aspect of the game itself. Mm-hmm. He never shortchanged the game. Mm-hmm. And that is an amazing accomplishment to have that type of approach to anything in life. Mm-hmm. He tried to be the very best at every aspect of it. And... You know, I think that was his focus. He just wanted to be like the game of basketball, (laughs) if, Mm -hmm. if you will. He was going for something that probably was unattainable now that I think about it
0: and he jokingly called himself god at one point in this documentary (laughs) that was really and then he he tried to get them to wipe the tape and then he tried to act like (laughs) he was kidding but you know that he wasn't Uh, yeah he was he was a little it was a little close and that was good uh yeah and then we saw magic johnson you know he said he said it perfectly we shouldn't have pissed him off and that's pretty much you know that is if there's anything that is like the the symbolism or or the 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 through line throughout this thing is that michael jordan is able to pick his battles he's able to find a beat writer that says they're going to lose in three games and say okay i'm To prove him wrong oh you say that I'm going to Atlantic City during a, a Knicks series and we're down two games I'm going to now win in six games and not talk to the media and I'm going to have my dad talk to the media and make you feel bad for saying that I'm a bad person you know what I mean like my, Michael was always playing the game he always had uh, he always had someone to play against right and like you said in golf right. he's playing against himself but he was able to create these narratives throughout and prove people yeah, wrong yeah, it's I, such a I powerful
1: mean, thing I mean think about it Tate you're playing with the best players in the world on the dream Mm -hmm. team, right? You got Mm -hmm. magic, you got bird, you got, you know, Charles Barkley, David Robinson, Clyde Clyde Drexler. Mm -hmm. And you have all of these guys who are all hall of fame players. Mm -hmm. And then you have this guy that's able to go above that to where all of those guys are like, yeah, he's the best. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there was no doubt. You follow me? It wasn't like a debate. It wasn't like,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that you know, maybe they're one and two. No, everyone walked away with he's the best, mm-hmm.
2: and Definitely.
1: there was no doubt about it. And 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 and, and that was his whole focus mm-hmm. to make sure that everyone knew that. And then everyone else was going to fight for second place, third place, or whatever whatever they were going to do. Charles Barkley was the MVP of the season ninety two ninety three season. He's upset about that. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: so he's gonna find something. And Charles Barkley was—he was incredible that year. I mean, he really had an. I think that was the first year he gets traded
0: from to, Philly. Yeah, from Philly
1: Phoenix. to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They had a—they had a really good team. They had some great role players: Kevin Johnson, All Star, uh, Dan Marley, uh, Danny Ainge. Mm-hmm. They had a really, really good team. And this guy continued continuously takes himself to a level above and beyond. I mean, Charles Barkley basically said, I played the best game of my life. And then this guy, on the road, I might add, Mm -hmm. just takes it to another level. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, he he just can... I I don't know how he did it, Tate. I really wish I could tell you, but he he had something that was just a little different about him. And... um, it was uh it certainly was it was fun to watch i can tell you that
0: yeah the nba goes global obviously in 1992 there in barcelona we see the picture and i was in barcelona in 2014 and where they had leo messi at that point is where michael jordan was in 1992 for the olympics if that says anything about how big of a figure he was in the world adam silver says it got to the point where they were selling culture through michael jordan the nba is growing at that point and you know michael at the time like he says like like we just talked about he's just playing basketball but all these things are coming along for the ride and we get to you know 1993 and we get Charles Barkley and we get to that series with the Phoenix Suns and as Michael is going through that series like you said he he has Barkley who's a friend of his but also we're on the big stage and Barkley said you know his biggest regret was he he didn't get the team mentally prepared for game one because like you said Michael Jordan is going at the mind of the Phoenix Suns in game one and it was there were no friendships he was playing with golf with Danny Ainge in 1986 we saw that early on in the series now he's playing him against the Phoenix Suns and he He's pushing him and tell him to get his hands off of him, (laughs) you know, And, and that's where we are in 1993. And so in that series, you saw, you know, Charles Barkley in game three, it's a, it's a triple overtime thriller. And he says, "I was not going to lose that game." You know, he wills, you know, the Suns to win that game, which is, you know, very Michael-esque. That's something that Michael right. was able to do. And then the Michael on the other end of that in Game Six is able is able to, you know, will his team in the same way that Charles did in Game Three. And then you had a funny story. I remember Game Six, you guys win. Jordan has one suit. You know, there's there's the whole you know a lore behind that story. But then after you guys win, there was something that happened with the bus, right? Someone there were there were fans laying out in front of the bus or something like that. Yeah, we, <laughs> no,
1: yeah, we. Had we had we had a lot going on there you know But <laughs> well, one of the things which i thought was funny is what i remember most about that series you know you yes. have things that you remember most yeah is we're all on the plane and 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 they and they touched on it in mm-hmm. the uh in i think in episode six right are we in episode six now yeah, yeah. and they touched on it we get on no i the back um we're all on the plane. We're going out to four game six. We mm-hmm. lose game five, five right? Game we lose five, game yeah. five at home. We're getting on the plane and everyone's kind of down. Everyone's like, God, now we got to go back. Because at that time, Tate, I have to remember that the, the series were you go two, three, two, that was the format in the finals. Mm-hmm. So we win the first two, we lose two out of three at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we're going back to the game six and everyone's on the plane. and. And Michael had impeccable timing, right? If the plane was supposed to leave at six, he's gonna get on at 559.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So Johnny Bach was the official timer, right? You know, he was mm-hmm. the official timer. Everyone had to set their <laughs> clocks according to Johnny Bach, right? Mm-hmm. So he would be he would always be at the uh, on the plane or the bus, 559, mm-hmm. 30, 29. It was like it was mm-hmm. like a joke. And then mm-hmm. MJ would just get on. He would always get on last. So <laughs> And which
0: is a very Dean Smith thing, we've never talked about that. Yeah, Dean Smith was always he would show up right on time and he was always,
1: yeah, yeah, he, he was, he was there. but that was Michael's <laughs> thing. He just, he, he was always, you know, he was always on time. So, so we're sitting there and everyone's kind of quiet. It's like, you know, I mean, we lost two out of three at home, we had a chance to close it out. We, you know, you know, it's just normal stuff. Michael gets on like 10 seconds before <laughs> the clock, right? And everybody was like. Oh, he made it. So because he was so late, you know, everyone was like, he was going to have to bring his bags on the plane because they had already closed and put the luggage and everything on below. Mm-hmm. So Michael gets on and everybody kind of looks. He just has, you know, like a suit bag. You know, he just has a bag and he has this one suit. He gets on the plane. I'll never forget. It. He gets on the plane with a suit tape. And said, "I don't know what y'all doing, but I'm only bringing one suit, and I'm only playing in one game." <laughs> and everyone just kind of erupted, like, "Yeah, this guy is off the charts!" <laughs> so he gets on with a pair of Jordans and one suit, mm-hmm. and he wasn't kidding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, this isn't like the legend girls, <laughs> no. I so everybody was like. He's for real, <laughs> like <laughs> boys. You, I remember, boy. You know, now his country, you know, his his North Carolina accent. Boys, yeah. I got one suit. <laughs> so, and, and and it was like, this guy is like you couldn't believe it. Like you didn't know what to say. So everyone was like, okay, he's got one suit. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it. we're gonna have to go out there and everyone was like it just kind of gave us this confidence of Mm -hmm. like if this guy and he wasn't like I think he wanted people to know like I think he wanted the media to know I think he wanted the other team (laughs) to know he just he was walking around I got one suit that's all he kept saying I was like I got one suit and he was so like jovial and we had just lost two games and And, you know, we won the game. I mean, Pax hits the shot. And he was, I mean, he was incredible that game. Mm -hmm. But he, that is true. That's a true story. He gets on that plane with one suit. And I don't know what would have happened, but I can tell you this. There was no doubt in our mind that we were going to win that game. Yeah, there was no one
0: that, there was no one that was going to make Michael wear another suit. No,
1: he didn't have another suit. (laughs) I can tell you that much. (laughs) It was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was like, Okay, all right. Well, you know, that's MJ and and uh and we did win that game. And yes, and that was the
0: three-peat, that was the uh you know, you guys did it, you completed the three peat. This is now like like Michael said in the series, this was the time that Michael, you know, in, in terms of his, you know, peers, he has taken the another step. He has right. passed the back to back, he is now on the three peat level. But it also, it, is, it exhausted Michael. That's kind of like where we end episode five in the series. Is Michael is a little bit wiped by that whole experience. You can see that it's sort of wearing on him being a star. And then we open up episode six and, you know, we get the be like Mike. We're all talking about all that sort of stuff. And, you know, then we get Michael saying it would be, you know, tough to be Michael for a year, you know, you may not want to be Michael and right. you're obviously close with Michael and you're seeing all this sort of stuff happening, uh, you know, from 91 and 92 and 93 and the pressures of being a global superstar, a phenomenon, a cultural figure, whatever you want to call Michael, but he's still just Michael from, you know, he's still a country boy. So yeah, he's got yeah, to right. he's got to he's got to play both sides of that situation. So what was it? It wasn't an XL in nineteen ninety three. There, when you win Game Six for Michael and for everybody, just to know they kind of had you know that off his back a little bit.
1: Well, you know that was the first time take that. Um, that you know the playoff games were starting to add up, right? Because we were going yeah. deep in the playoffs every, every year. single year. And then so you had the Olympics extra, too. Yeah, yeah, you. So you 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 have an extra twenty to twenty five games that you're playing in the playoffs. So you're playing. Mm-hmm. An extra twenty twenty five games in a condensed amount of time at a much higher level. Yep. So where everyone else is ending in like April, you're not ending till June. So that gives you basically July and August. And you got to do something because the season is going to start again in late September. Mm-hmm. So after playing, you know, these 70, 80 games, whatever it was or whatever number was in that condensed amount of time, suddenly now your 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 body starts to feel those games mm-hmm. and mentally the challenge is just starting to wear on you because it's just handling all of that stress and um, i think it just took a toll it took a toll on all of us you know you, you know you you get fired up to play we still had the desire to win it's just that your body can only do so much and you can only get yourself turned up so many times mm-hmm. so even then at the finals we were just you know, we weren't, like, the first championship, everyone's jumping up and down. The third championship, we like, hey, man, let's just go home, man. <laughs> you know, what yeah. I remember after that is no one showered after that game, and we mm-hmm. got on the plane and just went home. That's how tired we all were. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can imagine what the plane must have smelled like, <laughs> you know, going home. We, like yep. – you know, there was a little celebration in the locker room. And then I remember Phil gave us the option, like, do we want to go back and, you know, just, you know, get mm-hmm. a good night rest, have a little something at the hotel or just get back on the plane. And they were like, we can go back tonight. <laughs> Let's go back. No one, everybody just got their bags and just yeah. left. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember. We just got back because we were just tired. Everyone was just like worn out from the experience. And um, it was just, you know, it, it, it was great. But at the same time, it's very exhausting and, uh, you know, everyone needs a little break, especially when they're in that those type of battles year after year. And I think it took a toll. I think it took its toll on all of us. Yeah, and,
0: and two of those things that were talked about in the documentary that obviously, you know, you know, played a role in taking a toll on especially Michael is, you know, the Jordan Rules books come out and then we get the you know, you're obviously in there and they're talking about the leak sources and who the sources could be. There's right. some fingers. Poor Horace Grant gets blamed and everyone's saying that <laughs> Horace is telling everybody. You were nice you were nice enough to point out the fact that there were probably more people than just Horace that talked to anybody, so that was good. Right. Um, but all that was, you know, obviously, you know, controversial in nineteen ninety two kind of coming around uh into things and you know th- that seemed to bring people together i saw paxton in one of the you know the clips you know you talk about the atlantic city stuff in the nick series and he said you know when you talk about michael that's like talking about all of us so we right. d- we take it personally so it, sometimes those things i mean did that help a little bit to almost have some of those detractors because michael took it personally and therefore the team took it personally it, it,
1: it did and you know yeah you no know, tate i've never been that was my first time being an experience where the more things that were going on, the better we were.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you know you know how you are in high school, college, you know, everyone tried to, you know, you didn't want anything to distract off the court that would get on the court. Well, mm-hmm. with us, we were the exact opposite. We <laughs> needed that to get us focused. Like, like, it was like, oh, he went to Vegas. Yep. That's awesome, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's awesome, you know, it was like, Okay, that's – I mean, he went to Atlantic City. So it was like, oh, it's a distraction. Now everyone's in the paper talking about why we should lose. That's what we needed. We – look, takes. I didn't even know this about myself until I got to the NBA. I'm better. The more dysfunction there is around me, the better I am. hmm As a team, the more things that were messed up, the better we were.
2: Mm-hmm
1: that's just our group that that was we needed that like i can't mm-hmm. tell you how bad we needed that and that's just i think that was just our personality so if you went after one guy you didn't get us mm-hmm. and, and and so when that happened you know we were like okay mm-hmm. all right Okay, hey, let's go they're trying to go after one of our guy. well okay now we're going to show you what we needed to show you and and i can't it wasn't something that you we talked about but it was just something that we all we had this shared common denominator it was kind of mm-hmm. like I, I don't even know why it worked but it worked for us all the time mm-hmm. and 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 i think it just brought us to a group uh, to yep. like this like, it, it, was, it was a wild thing because the first two games, you know, which they didn't really say, you know, Michael really wasn't Michael.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I say Michael, he wasn't like, he wasn't dominating the game. Yeah, three for 13 in the second half in game two. Yep. Yeah, he wasn't dominating the game. Mm-hmm. So when he didn't dominate the game and we only lost by five, that was a huge confidence builder for us as mm-hmm. crazy as that sounds mm-hmm. so here he didn't play well okay michael never had back to back bad games mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the definition of a great player mm-hmm. you never have back to back bad games
2: mm-hmm.
1: michael never had back to back bad halves so mm-hmm. we played bad he played bad, and we're going home, and we only lost by five, and they were terrific.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the mindset for us was zero, 0 always, okay? And you've heard me say that before. And what does that yep. mean in this instance? Like, okay, the way we thought, the way you think as a player is, especially when you're playing in a seven-game series, is that when you beat someone, you try to beat them. Mm -hmm. If you beat someone and they still believe that they got a chance because they can make adjustments, you didn't really win. You're just – that team just is saying we ran out of time. Mm -hmm. We felt that if there was more time on the clock, we would have won the game. And that, as crazy as that sounds, but that's how we thought. So we were like, okay, we're going to go home. We know there's no chance he's going to play, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. three for 13 or whatever it is. But we also knew that that meant that we had to have a bigger responsibility as a group. Mm -hmm. as a team all the other Mm -hmm. players had to step up and play Mm -hmm. and do what they had to do so for us it was about figuring out before the series start we know that we have to win one game in new york yep that was the whole goal like we're not going to lose at home Mm -hmm. we have to win one game whether it's game one game two game five or game seven
0: and it ends up being game five and and, and game five was the game the Charles Smith layup where he has, it seems like, 15 chances and somehow yeah, he can't lay it and, in. And,
1: and, but remember, just I want to make sure, the New York team, they were a really, really good team that year. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. They were really good. And they, they had a better regular season record than us.
0: They had that home was the first home time advantage. They had yeah.
1: home court advantage. That was the first time that we started the series in our run, in that early run, where mm-hmm. we were actually on the road. So that was new for us but we were a very confident group to know that if we were going to be champions anyway, we were going to win. Mm -hmm. We had to win on the road. Mm -hmm. So that was new for us, but it was a different strategy than we had before because in years past, we knew we had to start the series off, right. Mm -hmm. To maintain that home court advantage where now we had to just figure out how to win whatever game presented itself to win. And that was the difference. So, uh, but those were great. Those were great teams. Pat Raleigh, Patrick Ewing was a problem. They had the late Anthony Mason, Oakley, mm-hmm. Doc Rivers, uh, Starks. Yep. I mean, you know, Charles Smith. They really, really were a good team. They were a physical team. And uh, we recognized what they were doing because they were basically a reflection of the Detroit Pistons in many mm-hmm. regards, except they had a low pole score. And Patrick Ewing, who was, uh, who was an all-star and a Hall of Fame player in his own right, and he posed a lot of problems for us
0: yeah and then we get the headline obviously in game six the the bulls going to win packs and obviously as the interview i mentioned and then we get the headlines you know silent jordan silences Knicks. uh you guys move on to the finals michael jordan goes back to the go-to ahmad rashad which is uh one of my favorite moments was when ahmad rashad at barcelona asked michael who's going to take the last shot and he looks at him and he's like me like what do you mean like like, why are you asking stupid questions don't be wasting my time um and and ahmad rashad comes back and he gets the exclusive interview michael's talking into the media again he's wearing sunglasses he addresses he like those sunglasses that, that, I oh you. i like that that's cold <laughs> that that's that's not country that's 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 different that's different (laughs) those were pre Oakley I might add those were pre Oakley those are are something else those are smooth so I like that that was loud that was loud up top so I like that (laughs) Uh, and then he tells a moderate shot about Dan Marley and that's all coming because Jerry Krause apparently loves Dan Marley's defensive game poor Dan Marley and Tony Kukoc were both you know they had to take you know the beating of Michael Jordan even though they had nothing to do with it but we get that whole interview to Michael sort of back into the fold there and we talked about you know that that final series with the Suns you guys win all that stuff packs his three, um, and then we get Barkley again, and Barkley says something interesting, which I wanted to ask you about. And he said he had no problem losing to Michael, um, and and I, and I find that you know both the respect at some level, and there's a lot of sportsmanship, and there and there's a lot of you know integrity to the game of basketball. there are coming in that statement because Charles Barkley is like I gave my best, and his best was better at the, at this moment, you know. And, and there's a, there's something that that is deep within that, that it's hard to say, you know, when you compete with someone, especially if you're Michael Jordan and you consider yourself someone addicted to competition, but from you, BJ, as a basketball guy that sees all these guys, I mean, and we're all competing for legacies. What is it like to see someone like Charles who is so great, you know, in in his own right with his own game, be humble enough to say something like that? Because I thought that was a pretty powerful statement from Charles.
1: Well, you know, it's a very honest statement from Charles Mm. and that's why you know charles is one of my favorites on television to this day charles is very very mm-hmm. honest whether you like him or not he's mm-hmm. very forthcoming and he's very honest you know as a as a player tate when you're playing the game many times you know you have to play the game you have to carry yourself with a certain ego and make no doubt about it right your mm-hmm. your ego is part of what makes you a great player mm-hmm. you don't play in this league without having an ego but sometime in every and sometime in in, in every athlete's life you're going to run up against a player that's that player Mm -hmm. and for all of us who played in that era michael jordan was that player you know you you i can vividly remember when i was in high school my my coach would always say yeah you might be the best player here at this high school but you better keep working hard because when that player shows up will you be ready Mm -hmm. and lo and behold when i saw michael jordan you say, okay, this guy is different. Charles Barkley was the MVP of the league. Charles Barkley was one of, he was probably the best player in the league during the regular season that year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The truth of it is, and I'm not even sure if Charles was aware of it, Michael Jordan won that championship in, in Barcelona
2: mm-hmm.
1: because the doubt he was going to put in everyone's mind was at that practice. And that's what Charles knew. Mm-hmm. So Charles, if you just see someone in a game, anyone can have a great game. Anyone, not just anyone, but a player is capable of having a great series.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But when you know somebody and when you are with someone every single day and you peek behind the curtain yourself, because there's no faking it when you're with someone every single day. Michael Jordan won that, that series in 92 at the Olympics because every single day he was on display to show everyone why they're not gonna beat him. Mm -hmm. That's what Charles knew. And that's what I understand about Charles, that Charles knew that this guy was different. Charles was the most valuable player of the regular season. Mm -hmm. Charles said, I played the best game of my life. And he saw a man Take that and go to a level. What do you can you say about that? So you can be in denial, which is the easy thing to do, or just tell it like it is. Charles came to win. In game, I think game one and game three, which they won in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Look, Charles came to win. Charles was a great player. He wasn't a good player. Charles was a great player, right? I, I caught Charles at the... At his peak, you know. A lot of times you catch players at the end of their career or mm-hmm. the beginning. I caught Charles at his peak, when Charles was in Philly, and when he was in uh, Phoenix. Yep, th- th- that man was a problem. <laughs> okay, that man was a- mm-hmm. the chuck wagon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, when the chuck wagon got to moving down the court, you weren't getting in. The- you weren't getting in his way. Mm-hmm. And he was only 6'4", or 6'5", or whatever The round man on the rebound, yep. The, the, man, the Chuck Wagon man. And he, mm-hmm. was a, he was a great player. He was a unique talent. Mm-hmm. And that man there was a player. But that other guy was just, you know, and I don't even like saying that because you can't believe it. But to hear Charles try to tell you, I just saw something that I've never seen before. And mm-hmm. we're all, and all of the players are still to this day trying to say, listen, man, like, we weren't fans of this guy, but I'm just telling you, we all saw something that we've never seen before and we're all trying to convey 30 years later, yeah, I was great. Yeah, I was the MVP. I played the best game of my life and I saw a man come in <laughs> and play even better than that and and, and still mm-hmm. have more left in the tank. Yep. So that's... Chuck, I, I understood what Chuck was saying yep. and you know what? And I applaud him for saying it because that takes courage to say that because, you know, he, it's easy for him to say, look, he can say whatever he wanted to say, Mm -hmm. but that's the truth. I mean, that guy, Michael Jordan was really, really that good. And he was as great as those guys were. He was better. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, but that was, that was great for Charles to say that and uh, much respect for him to even be able to recognize that because, uh, man, he was, he was spectacular that year. And that's the three peat and
0: that wraps it up. We're there. We're done with 1993, and that kind of seals it up. And then we get to you talk about left in the tank. We, we get at the end of episode six. Michael was talking about how he basically is at the point where he wants to stay behind closed doors. Um, he wants to sort of, you know, maybe remove himself back from that spotlight a little bit. And he also wants to leave the game two years before he's supposed to leave the game. We mm. get that nice little insight. And he said he, do, he does not want to miss his time to go. Uh, which means he doesn't want to be he said you know he said that Ewing I think had mentioned that they were gonna have to drag him off the court you know and Michael said he didn't want to be that guy he wanted to leave on top and I, I found that to be an interesting little tidbit about Michael he wanted to leave the game where everyone remembered him as the greatest and not as anything else
1: yeah you know it's it's interesting to hear hear him say that yeah because you know we all we it, we, we all have ways that we want to leave the game mm-hmm. and one of the things I, I I knew about Michael was when that guy does show up like if that younger Michael Jordan shows up, how would the older Michael Jordan handle that
2: mm-hmm.
1: Th- that's yeah you, you know that's that's the question for any athlete right mm-hmm. I, I I can vividly remember when it happened to me like you play, and you can make adjustments, right? You you mm-hmm. know that they're really good players and everyone's good. But then what happens when you see that guy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you got to play against that guy and you can no longer play against that guy because he can physically impose his will on you? Mm-hmm. And that player for me was Allen Iverson.
2: Mm.
1: When I first saw him and I played because I was in like year 10 or year 11, I think my like my last year, if there was any doubt that I was supposed to retire when I saw Allen Iverson, when I saw AI for the first time, there was no doubt. There was no doubt because Mm -hmm. physically he could impose his will on me and there was nothing I could do. Right. I couldn't say I can take away his left hand. I can keep him in front of me to make him shoot a shot. There was nothing physically that I could do to play the game at that level that it needed to be played at. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's what Michael was saying because he was in year 11 or tw- whatever year he was in. He knew that's why when everyone asked me, which team do you think was is better? I always say that 92 team, that Michael Jordan, if he saw the older Michael Jordan, <laughs> he could physically impose his will mm-hmm. on the game. Mm-hmm. He could impose his will. You can't. Some athletes, there's nothing you can do when they come in with that level Mm -hmm. of excellence. Like because he's so fundamentally sound, so he was fundamentally great, and he had the 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 he had all the things that a young man has, right? You got stamina, you're strong, you're quick, speed. Mm -hmm. You can fall down and get back up. That's what he, I think, was beginning to feel. You go. Mm every athlete you know like it it, it gets you around year eight nine ten is when all of a sudden like all of a sudden the back-to-backs are coming, and you're like, oh, I got to stretch out now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be wrapped. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're like, oh, <laughs> man. Like, like, hey, you know, hey, like like." coaches looking at you like, coaches want to scream at BJ. He's like, but BJ need their first five minutes of the game now <laughs> just to warm up, you know yeah, get I'm a saying? lather, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, now all of a sudden, when you know the coaches start saying, hey, guys, let's go warm up. It's 25 minutes on the clock. Translation, hey, man, you old now. You need yeah, an extra five minutes. It. So I think that's what, Anyway, think. I know that's what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And now he knew that, yes, he was still in the upper echelon of all the athletes, but he could no longer impose his physicality on the game like he once could. Mm-hmm. And the player that you saw in 96, 97, 98, that to me was the genius of Michael Jordan is a, that he was able to age gracefully because the younger Jordan wasn't doing anything fading away. Yep. The 96 97 Jordan had a fade away. Mm-hmm. He had more moves, he was much more patient. Mm-hmm. he was much more he, he was much more his tactics and the way he attacked the game was differently. He would pick his moments. he wouldn't dominate for the entire game. He would just pick strategic moments during the game. And to me, that was the genius of him. Act 2 and recreating himself was like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. that that to me was – because by the end, 96, 97, 98, he was basically just – he was really a center
2: because
1: mm-hmm. all of his touches were below the free throw line. He didn't really play in the open court. Like, you, Like that 86 guy you saw against the Celtics, I mean, this guy's flying around. He's dunking, <laughs> tag, tongue's going everywhere. Mm-hmm. 92, 93, you know, he's doing – Ninety six, ninety eight. He's catching the ball. He's being real patient. He's looking. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's looking over his shoulder, <laughs> seeing what the defense is at. Hey, hey, you know, he's t- he's got the one. You know, the, the famous. He takes the ball and he shows the ball and holds yeah, it. You it's know, it's old man he, game. It's yeah, man yeah. Game. yeah. You know, and I and, and I used to always like, God, man. That, I mean, but he's aging gracefully, mm-hmm. and that what that's what made him a great player. He was a phenomenal, fundamentally sound basketball player who just happened to be in this, you know, incredible athletic body. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's what, you know, made him a special player. And uh, and now we're at episode six. So we'll see what seven and eight brings uh, next week.
0: Yeah, there you go. I mean, we're right at the end of Act 1, the first P. That's where we yes. are with Michael Slife. And we're also at the start of the 1998 playoffs going against John Calipari, the New York Nets, uh, or the New Jersey Nets at this point. The New point. Jersey Nets. The New Jersey Nets at this point. Um, so that's where we are. Shout-out to Kerry
1: Kittles. I don't know why that came oh, to me. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. Kerry Kittles. Kerry, a vil- Kerry a vil- Kittles. A
0: Villanova legend. Yeah. A, a great <laughs> Shout wildcat. Shout-out to Kerry Kittles. Yes. Shout-out to Kerry Kittles. Uh, yeah, so that's where we are in the series. Before we get out of here, BJ, one last note. We'll leave it on a light note. What would you do? You talk about imposing your will, a player imposing his will. What would you do when you see a Michael Jordan imposing his will on your $1 game, blackjack game at the front of the plane? Did you tell him to please get away from you because you're not trying to lose money to him again? What was that like? Because that was a funny tidbit in this episode as well. Well, I can
1: tell you this. So there was one part of the story. I think Will told the story. Yes, Will Perdue. Where Will said, okay, (laughs) so there was their games. Mm Mm-hmm. So his game was all about intimidating you not to play in the game. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this guy's got all the money, right? So he would always say the house never, the house never loses. So he would just, so it's, it wasn't even competition with him. It was just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say something here. And, and and it's not competition. It's for him is to see you get to your emotion which is fear yes he wants to see you squirm he wants to see you squirm yes and once he sees the fear <laughs> then he attacks the fear yes so if you play it's for like it's like when he tells
0: scotty he's got a 3 30 tea time and he's like you, you better need, come to my oh, tea time <laughs> yeah
1: so it looks like competition <laughs> but this is these are the things i would ask him because i would laugh i i was yes. i was always I'm the laughing. guy <laughs> I, I was always the guy that everybody's like You know, back then they called me Kid. He said, Kid. I was like, no, because I know exactly what he's doing. So it was always about, it was like, how does the fish get caught? He opens his mouth. So Mm -hmm. Michael is talking trash. And then your natural reaction is, I can't let him say that to me. But Michael's reaction is, if I can get him to talk,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I can get him caught up in something.
0: Yeah, you already got him.
1: Yeah. You already got him. So then, (laughs) so this is what he would do. So... He would play the game and he would play these games while everyone's competing and saying these things. Michael just wanted to see how much, how far he could go before you got to fear. So, bet 100. So, first the game start off at $20 a hand. Michael may lose three games in a row. He goes to $100, $100 a hand and you're like, you're not even hot. You're not even like. <laughs> so then your ego would be like, okay, mm-hmm. bet. Michael wins, then he may lose two more games. $500 a hand. <laughs> Scared man can't win no money in Vegas. Now everybody's <laughs> egos into the game. Now, Michael has enough money to stay in the game no matter what. Mm-hmm. So now what he wanted to do was see you face your fears. Mm-hmm. That, that was his whole thing. He knew that also at the front of the plane, who were playing one $5 hand... <laughs> We got the joke. The joke was, mm-hmm. I'm not playing $500 a hand with you for what? <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. So he would come up there and just mm-hmm. say, he just wants my money. He got to find a way to sink us into the game. <laughs> <laughs> and So out of a joke, we said, you can come play as long as you are the house. So we would play blackjack with him in the house. It's no fun to play for $1 or $5, mm. but it is fun if we could get everybody to play and then everyone could bet according to what Michael was doing. So the fun part of him playing with in our game was he was the house and all the other 11 guys was playing against Michael Jordan. Now, that's that was amazing. fun. Yeah, that's fun. The, and the owners <laughs> and everybody. Like Jerry Reinsdorf, which was the funniest thing to me, would play in the game. <laughs> when we were, when we, I think we were going to Phoenix in game six. So we got the whole team playing against Michael Jordan. <laughs> that was the funnest part of the game was because mm-hmm. he wanted to see who was going to blink first. The competition theme is just, to me, it was just all an act. Yeah, The act was because he never, ever, I never saw him blink. Mm-hmm. I never saw him blink.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Bet two thousand dollars, and he would mm-hmm. say it like, and you would be like, and then this is what he loved to do. He loved to see players go. Come on, man, we can't do that, man. Yeah. And now he's already won, so he's like, okay, this guy's not a risk taker. Yeah. He was. All, that's how his mind thought. Everyone else was like, oh, this is competition. I won or lost. No, he was <laughs> like, oh no, this guy. Okay. So if you said, bet $2,000, and you'd be like, no, $50 on it, and you didn't move, he'd be like, okay, this guy knows. He knows his limitations. He's staying focused, and he's got the discipline. Michael Jordan was a very disciplined player. <laughs> it, this mm-hmm. is what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So the competition thing, he just wants you to panic. Take yeah. That was his and, – and, and whenever I see him to this day and when they're playing, I always sit there, and I just start laughing. Because he loves to see people sweat, mm-hmm. because they shouldn't be doing something. They sh- <laughs> why are some like? Why are you a rookie playing in a two thousand dollar hand? Mm-hmm. You don't even make two thousand dollars a month back mm-hmm. then, right? <laughs> like yep, you yep, shouldn't be. Yep. So that was what, what it was all about. And gambling for him was to get you to your raw instinct, which is fear. Yes. he loved it. And when he saw fear in another player's eyes, when I tell you his eyes would get big, mm. if he saw you blink or he saw you afraid of something, oh, man. Oh, man, that's, and that's, that was his whole idea of what they say competition is. And that was what Scott Burrow's
0: parents probably saw when you know he was bringing up, and he was like, "Come on in, please, M. Don't don't." He, he was like, "You an alcoholic? You like can never find a lid." And he just kept, and that's exactly what you're talking. Exactly. about. You know I exactly,
1: mean? that's that's so him. Like, how does the fish get caught? He opens his mouth. All Scott had to do was not say anything. And, as soon as he said, "Come on, M," he just went so, even harder. He said, like, "You an alcoholic?" Once <laughs> now, once he saw the fear, he just went after the guy. That's how he. And, it's so him so it's like oh he got another one and that's what we would all say oh he got another one and scott that was i think that was probably his first year too right that's his first year second year yep he got it that's what he did that's what he does that's what he he still does it he's just looking for the guy (laughs) who's just going to open his mouth. so but you know what god bless uh, those were funny times though there you go. Uh, don't go fishing with MJ. That's the
0: lesson that we learned. That's here. the lesson. <laughs> okay. Don't go fishing with MJ. All right. Here we go. This has been another edition of After the Last Dance. This is episode five and episode six. I am Tate Frazier, as always, with BJ Armstrong. We will be back on Tuesday with a very special guest, BJ. This has been a lot of fun. I'm excited for next uh, Sunday. We got we got two more Sundays to go. Man,
1: I can't believe it. We're 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 halfway through this thing. Yeah, we're doing it. over that, right? halfway through it. Yeah, so, I know. Uh, we're
0: Working through it. Yeah, working through it. Pushing through it pushing through it. And we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.